Welcome to CDT's Tech Talk, where we dish on tech and internet policy while also explaining what these policies mean to our daily lives. I'm Brian Wozolowski, and it's time to talk tech. If you're like me, you are beyond giddy that summer is almost here. And while I will be hitting the roads this Memorial Day, a fair number of travelers will take to the skies instead, headed for exotic places. Did you know that you are at your most vulnerable when you travel and cross international borders in terms of cybersecurity? It's true, and to help everyone stay more secure every day, CDT created a very, very awesome quiz uh, that you can take online that assesses your cybersecurity using the lens of international travel. CDT's staff technologist, Greg Norsey, led the creation of the quiz and is working to create a series of tools and resources to help us all stay safe online. He's here today to talk about some of those tips. Welcome, Greg. Hi. So are you headed anywhere for Memorial Day? Uh, no, I'm just going to do a staycation. Oh, that's good. That's good. I'm headed to the beach. I'm looking a little pale and pasty here. So I'm doing the traditional trek from D.C. to Delaware. So that will be wonderful. So why is it that you are at your most in- you're most insecure from a cyber perspective when you travel? What is it about travel that makes it different than, saying just visiting your local coffee shop? Well, you know, when you're visiting your co- coffee shop, you're on like a hostile network. But when you're crossing these borders, you have zero rights. You, you can be pulled aside, your laptop can be imaged, examined, etc. Um, so you really have to up your security. So is it just kind of the law of like the international land that when you cross borders, your rights are kind of given up? Well, yes. When you're entering a, a foreign country or when you're coming back to the United States, um, they do have the right to search you uh, quite thoroughly, actually. Um, you don't have the same rights and protections that you would have, say, if you were pulled over by a police officer. Um, now, generally, they try to only do that if they think it's necessary and don't subject everyone to a very thorough search. But it is a possibility. Yeah, certainly when I've traveled in different places, I do know some countries, even when leaving the airport, you have your bag scanned another time to see what you've, you've brought in. So it's like the behind the scenes and all that sort of stuff. And everything needs to go through. So, all right, that makes sense. I buy this. So let's start to going through some of these tips that you have um, in the quiz, which, like I said, was great. And um, we actually unveiled it at South by Southwest um, in Austin. And the feedback was phenomenal. So everyone should go to cdt.org and take the quiz um, and hope Hopefully this this podcast will inspire you to do so. Um, so first stop, you know, you're on your tour, you're getting ready to leave, and you're at the airport. The airport Wi-Fi. We've all logged into it. Is this something we should be doing? Um, well, sure. There's not, nothing wrong with just logging on the Wi-Fi. It's what you're doing. So if I want to log on to the Wi-Fi and maybe just you know go on United.com, check and see if my uh, flight's on time, that's perfectly fine. If you're going to start doing you know financial transactions, shopping, logging into something where you're typing a password in that's when things get a little hairy. So what are some ways then if, you know, we've all been on those long layovers or been stuck at the airport and you're like, okay, I need to do this. You log in, you want to do the the shopping or you want to like pay bills, that sort of thing, or just, you know, log into your work email. Are there ways that you can do this and still be secure? Yes, there's two things. Number one, you know, if you're over an HTTPS connection, look for the S, look for the lock. That's pretty secure. Um, if you want to be absolutely sure, you can use what's called a VPN, a virtual private network. Um, personally, I use Astral. You know, you pay about, I forget if it was 10 bucks a month or 10 bucks a year. Um, but for a relatively small fee, you can have a VPN of your own. Is that like Tor or is that, or am I totally wrong on that? So the main difference between Tor and a VPN is Tor is an onion routing technology. Um, so they're going to route you through several 
different servers um, really make it harder to trace you. And on the other hand, when you exit the network, um, the, it's exiting in clear text. With the VPN, you're just doing one hop. Gotcha. Uh, okay. Yeah, there was a, a stretch where I, I was living abroad and I did have to um, to access any sort of site. You kind of had to use that weak filters, so I had to use a, a VPN of sorts and often would use Tor and then, you know, Tor's pretty good and it worked and suddenly, you know, I was based in the United States and could see everything you could see in the United States. <laughs> Um, one of the other tips that I thought was interesting in there uh, was about USB charging ports. You know, I'm constantly that person that's like running low on battery and trying to find a place to charge my phone. So why are these so vulnerable? Well, because you're trusting that all it's going to do is deliver power. It is equally possible that someone could rig up something that will push some malware onto your uh, device whenever you plug it in. That's why personally I like to carry a portable battery for about 50 bucks. I've got... Uh, a little dealy that can give me power for about four or five days. Wow, for 50 bucks? Yeah. That's a sweet deal. Why have I not done this? This is ridiculous. Um, no, I mean, the the USB ones, I'm just thinking of like every time I upgrade um, or like try to sync my phone with my laptop and that sort of thing, which I am doing less now because of the cloud, but it does happen every now and then where I think it's a good idea. Yeah, that's data that's being transferred, and I you don't often think of that like same port as the yeah, one that same, you get power and data through. It's the same port, through. so you're, you know, it's trust. Um, you know, and, you know, maybe you can trust the, you know, DCA, but, you know, what if you're in Moscow? That's right. That's true. Good friends just visited Moscow. So they, it was lovely. Um, so another surprising tip in there, and this was the one that I'm like, what? This makes no sense to me, um, was to put stickers on your laptops. And I'm, you know, we're sitting at my desk right now, and I actually now have stickers on my laptop, which used to not be the case. They used to be pristine. So you have changed one of my behaviors. Congratulations. Um, what is it about stickers on your laptops, and maybe not just your laptops, your your devices, that actually adds a layer of security? So if I'm going through airport security. You know, somebody can't be like, oh, I'm sorry, I thought that was my laptop I was picking up. And the really interesting thing is that especially when you have like these MacBooks or these ThinkPads where all of them look the same, somebody could take your laptop and replace it with one that they have placed uh, an image, the cloud backup image on your laptop plus some malware or maybe plus a physical keylogger of some sort. So you could have a situation where you're crossing an international border. They say, I'm sorry, sir, we need to examine your laptop. The laptop goes into a room. The laptop never comes out of the room. A different laptop, which has been bugged, is brought back to you and given to you. When you put the stickers on, that makes it much, much harder to do something like that because now they have to have the stickers on hand. Now they've got like an iron and stuff like that. It's like, no, that's not going to be a realistic scenario anymore. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, the number of times before I had stickers on that I'd have to open my laptop after going through, you know, yes. the metal detectors to make sure it was actually mine, which is embarrassing. Um, now I know, and I have a gorgeous CDT sticker on it that um, if people haven't checked out, we have a relatively new logo. I don't think I can call it new anymore. We unveiled it way back in, what, February, something like that. But it looks great, and it, it looks very great on my um, my Apple laptop. It goes great with gray. So, um, More tips. You recently wrote a blog post. You're starting to now flesh out uh, the things that were covered in the quiz in more depth, which is fantastic and really helpful. Um, you wrote one on software upgrades. I think we've all had, you know, the push upgrades where it's like, you know, upgrade your software now, remind me later, that sort of thing. Um, why is it important that we actually don't just ignore these and push, you know, remind me 10 days from now or whatnot, but actually do it? Sure, because uh, usually what happens is that when they're pushing an upgrade, um, 
often there's some sort of security update in there. So what ends up happening is when they publish this security update, number one, it's protecting you that somebody can't come in and hack your device. Number two, whenever they create that update, hackers can look at that update, see what the exploit was, and then weaponize it. So then, you know, Microsoft has their Patch Tuesday where they put out all their patches, and then you've got Exploit Wednesday where everybody's oh shooting goodness. vulnerabilities <laughs> around the internet. So what happened? Tell me about Exploit Wednesday. What is that? I, just, I didn't even know that was a thing. So the idea is that, you know, even if the patch has been released, um, you know, there's going to be a lag between when the patch is released. You know, not every single computer on the Internet is going to get patched immediately. So you can run a computer scanner, uh, port scanner, uh, try and find computers which have not been upgraded. And you can check thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of computers a second until you find one that's vulnerable, push your vulnerability out and own it. Wow. Does that happen with other products as well? Or is Microsoft, I mean, no, Microsoft, is that known mostly because they're the ones that seem to have so much of the business market? I mean, terms? Microsoft catches a lot of flack, but they're also one of the largest OS shares. I, You know, you're starting to see more and more um, malware for OS X, sure. malware for Android. You know, no operating system is safe. It's usually just more that, you know, criminals want to get the biggest bang for their buck. So when they when you're writing some sort of right. malicious software, you're going to try and write it towards that's going to be usable on the most machines possible. But then conversely, if it's a targeted attack, if somebody wants to get at one specific person, then, you know, being an Apple user or being an Android user is not going to protect you because they're going to craft their exploit for you specifically. That makes sense. You know, the number of times I've had friends say, um, you know, in all different camps, you know, make arguments for what's more secure, whether it's the PCs or the Macs. Um, and it's mostly the Mac folks that seem to be the ones that like, I have a Mac, I'm 100% secure. Yes, the and John I try Hodgman's to tell them the that's just, you know, silly. That's, you know, silly. So this is good. I'll make them listen to that. Um, so what are some of the other things that you're, um, it, like you said, you're doing a series of tips here for people. Um, what are some of the other topics that you are going to flesh out a bit more or are interested in writing about? So we've done a blog, blog on, you know, why you should be updating and why that's so important. We're working on one about the importance of what's called two-factor authentication, this idea that when you're logging in, you won't just be typing in your password, but a one-time code as well. That way, even if someone hacks into the website that you were visiting and steals your password, if they don't have this one-time code, they're not going to be able to use it. Um, if that password was used on other websites, they can't just take that one password they stole from, you know, say, LinkedIn and then mm -hmm. use it to log into your bank because they still don't have the two-factor code. Um, the other thing we're going to be talking about is password managers. Um, you know, creating a strong password is hard, and you know, it's frankly not your fault if you can't remember a super strong password because we were only built to remember about seven chunks of information, seven words, seven numbers. Um, so usually what we recommend is that you have one very strong passphrase that you have memorized, and then you can use that passphrase to unlock your password manager, which then stores all the other passwords. That's interesting. Um, this I read an article recently where I, I think we have probably all remember those days where whether it's a website or your system administrator or you know just some other service forced you to change your password every say 90 days or whatnot and that practice seems to be no longer you know in vogue why is that is that would you agree with that or do you you know you seem to suggest that one really strong great password is the way to go um, and I saw some reading on that, but you know, why is why are the days of like the change your password every ninety days kind of over? Well, because you know, again, if you have a strong password, um, it's going a truly strong password should take longer than the life of the universe to crack it. 
So therefore, then the problem isn't so much the changing of the password, it's the security of the system that's storing the password. Um, and then again, if you have layers of security, if you're keeping your software updated, if you have your two-factor code, if that password is only to one website, it's just a situation where the, uh, the time and energy it takes to be changing that password every 90 days versus the realistic risk of it being compromised. It's so small that it's just a waste of your time that you have better things to be doing. That makes sense. So you are a world traveler. I know this, and you've shared some of your travel stories with me, which are amazing. Yes. Um, do you have like a, an ultra paranoid story that you could share to like make people like realize just how insecure you can sometimes be when you travel? Or even, you know, just an experience from your travel where you're like, I am so glad that I was a technologist and that I was, you know, sane about this or thinking oh sure this. so at one point in uh in in undergrad i went to this uh defcon the computer hacking convention in las vegas and this was like when i was you know i had just turned 21 and i didn't really do much of a 21st par birthday party because it was the middle of the semester and i had mi midterms and things so i just sort of saved it for the summer um so i go out to defcon um i was out there with my my roommate and um you know, he says, oh, I'm going to go hit the ATM, get some gambling money. And I said, well, you know, we're in, you know, the world's largest hacker convention. Maybe you should consider going across the street to use the ATM. And we're arguing back and forth a little. And finally, he goes like, fine. So we walked down the strip. I think we went to like In-N-Out or something, you know, use the ATM along the way. Um, we later on, I found out that the, the ATM we were standing next to and arguing over was was not a legitimate ATM. What? Um, <laughs> that apparently what happened was, you know, the casino has a lot of, you know, security cameras. And this casino, I haven't told this story, you know, until now, but the casino has now been blown up and doesn't exist. So I don't mind revealing this security vulnerability. But apparently the casino security office, there were no cameras in front of the sec casino security office because they had, you know, police. Poli I don't know if they're police or security officers, but they had men with guns staring out. <laughs> and um, Intimidating. And um, they just assumed if some sort of crime was occurring that they're just going to physically see it and they didn't need a uh, camera there. So what whoever put this ATM did in did was that they knew that. So they had like hats on or whatever and more, you know, janitor jumpsuits. And they come in, they put this ATM into the casino that is not an ATM. It's just sucking up your information. And they just do it right in front of the security office because there were no cameras because uh, this was not on the casino floor, it was off to the side. You could just come in the door, and you know you could you could do it off camera, and there would be no record of who did it. And then I guess the idea was then that they were going to come back later, and the ATM would just tell everyone, "Oh, there's no money in the ATM," when really it was just sucking up everyone's credit card information. Um, you know, things like that aren't going to happen as much now that we're moving to the new EMV standard, the new chip and signature, right. um, because you know you're going to you can't just steal the magstripe data you're going they have that chip on there but at the time if you had put your uh atm card in you're putting your atm card in they've got your magstripe data they're going to get your pin number and then if they had been able to retrieve that data they would have just dra drained all the bank accounts of everyone who had used the atm well i take two lessons from that story one is that the biggest this is going to be the most relevant one is that the biggest vulnerability is often right under your nose and the casino learned that pretty quickly and the number two is clearly that if i ever go to defcon i will only live in cash that's it uh <laughs> well i mean 
now i mean for me personally i actually will um you know somebody said this to me last year i was in the gift shop um and i have a i have a i have a credit card and you're not actually responsible for fraud on your credit card true um you know so i i have a credit card that i don't use for like my bills and things so that you know if something happens i'm not i'm gonna make sure that you know everything gets paid yeah, i'll buy a bottle of water and and then i'll just check my statement at the end of the month and if somebody charged a bunch of stuff I'm not responsible. I'll just call the credit card company. I'm still operating in cash. I mean, I just, I don't know. That may be my paranoia. And you have done a great job of making me paranoid, but in a good, more cyber secure way. So thank you for that. Again, I encourage everyone to check out the quiz online um, and then check back to cdt.org regularly because Greg is, as we've already talked about, going to be producing more and more content there. Thanks so much, Greg. Thanks. That's it for this episode of Tech Talk. You can find CDT's cybersecurity quiz and Greg's post on software updates online at cdt.org. Also, if you want your very own awesome CDT sticker to make your laptop more secure, hit us up on Twitter or shoot me an email to brian at cdt.org. I am Brian Wozlowski, and thanks so much for listening.